Rugby World Cup podcast time, another episode, another week. It's a Sunday evening, we're ahead of time, we were a bit behind time last week. Alan Deegan's along here. Hi Rob. He's in his own house, so he would want to be here. William Davies. Good evening. Good to have you along, William. He's got a clipboard with him this week, he is serious. An Arniac in the, am I saying that right? Armagnac. An Arniac. Armagnac. I'm, like I'm talking about some like fairy tale book or something. Anyways, an Armagnac. <laughs> Indeed, um, <laughs> I've had worse rugby experiences. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's he's had quite the experience. He had wine, burgers. We've all been well looked after here today. Um, and uh, after last week's effort from Alan, uh, Adrian has come back and saved the day again. And how Stegan rules the roost when it comes to food. Thank you for for that, Adrian. She won't be saying anything in the podcast, although she's the only one of us to watch Scotland versus South Africa. So I don't know. She, maybe she can relay that through the through to Alan and what happened in that game. Uh, we could talk about Ireland initially, which is just over. We will. Okay, where to start? Well, I think England versus Australia is a good place. And maybe have a listen to this. Uh, Jim, you are in... Uh, well, you're a Scotland supporter, I've just been told. But you, uh, you, still, you still have a, an overall view. I, I do. I have an, an overall view. My view is it's a tragedy for the Rugby World Cup that England are out. Why? That's my view. Because we were at uh, Newcastle today, St James's Park, the atmosphere in the town, and the game was fantastic. There were England fans everywhere. And now that England are out, something's just going to have been taken out of this World Cup. And I think that's a shame for the whole of rugby. I think it was the captain. I think he apologised to the country for England going out. But I think he should be apologising to the, the international game of rugby that they have gone out. I think that's a disgrace to the game of rugby that the host nations have not survived longer than 16 days. That's my point. The most, uh, I mean, the wealthiest union, the biggest union, uh, the most players, etc. I mean, the list goes on and on and on about the rugby here's football. The thing, here's the thing, Matt. Here's the question. If this has happened now, will England ever be allowed to host the Rugby World Cup again? Well, here's of course, of course they will, because there is enormous financial... Uh, gain to be had for for the game across the world. It generates, and I'm backing your point up there to a degree, it's a huge loss for the game across the world. It's a loss for the whole of rugby. It's a loss for the home nations as well, because when England hosts it, that brings the Rugby World Cup to these islands, and we participate in that. So in many ways, England's let down all of the home nations, the whole of the United Kingdom. Yeah, I bet you didn't think you were going to be listening to a Scottish man there. Uh, but uh, what a rant. Yeah, it certainly was. That was very funny listening to 6 of 6 there. I know we, we nicked it off to BBC, but I'm sure if we, if we get anyone complaining, it means somebody does listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was beautiful stuff there. Uh, I, 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 I'm surely tongue-in-cheek. Surely that man can't be serious. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Like I have to say, I, I, I thought England would win because they, I thought they'd be desperate to win. I just didn't think they'd be desperate. <laughs> That is quite the line there, Alan. You've been working on that all day. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I can't believe you didn't get that. Well, yeah, I just I was I was checking something else there, but that was good. Oh. Desperate. England were desperate. William, take it from there. They were shocking, appalling, leaderless, rudderless, and a bit embarrassed, I think, by the end. Um, they never got into that game. I genuinely thought they would win because the fear of failure 
but I think in the end it just became the fear of winning and Australia were way too good for them and they're almost back as bad as they were four years ago I think they've they've got to almost start again and that's that's a terrible position to be in I feel sorry for their fans not the ones booing uh, the manager and the captain last night will have been interviewed. I've never, ever heard that at a rugby match. It was appalling. But I, I, I don't think it'll it'll affect the actual way the tournament continues. The tickets are sold. The teams will, fans will continue to, to turn up. But it, it will take away something. I'd say ITV this morning are sitting there uh, shell-shocked with the advertising revenue and stuff like that. They reckon it's going to cost half a billion Half a billion in lost pubs, restaurants, clubs, and the whole razzmatazz. But uh, onwards and upwards, that's all you can do. Unbelievable. I think we should defer to the man who predicted an Australian win and give him the credit that's due. I'm hoping he has the same humble reaction to the victory as Michael Checker asked his players to have. No, absolutely not. <laughs> um, you guys got it wrong. And you guys got it wrong because... To be fair, like most people on this side of the world, we only we haven't been following Australian rugby quickly enough. Australian rugby has got itself now a coach that really knows what he's doing. He is he's over he's emphasised ten from nine to fifteen out. They individually and collectively outperformed everything against them. And where I thought they would be weak was one to five. One to five were excellent. They scrummed. The, the, the Australian scrum has been a joke for the last 15 years. And yet, they emphasised... Now, they got the referee to look at Marler. Now, they lost the first two. They then went, look at Marler's driving in. And this has been highlighted. We've seen... We go back to one of our, our favourite journals, uh, Murray Kinsler. Murray Kinsler emphasised the Australian Marler's scrum about six months ago. And over the last two weeks... While Murray has been away at TV3, whoever's taken up the mantle has also pointed that Marler comes in at an angle. Now, the first two scrums, uh, Poit was standing on the England tight head side. They then, the Australians went, actually, the problem is on the loose head side. He went over, and the English scrum collapsed after that. So eventually, having Marler been caught again and again and again, they bring on Maka Vunapola. Now, Marler is probably, Maka Vunapola is a battering ram on the loose, but he can scrum, scrum well. They take off Dan Cole, was having a bad time to bring on Kieran Brooks. And you would think again, because we're used to the Australian scrum being poor, that, that once they go to their number, that when they go to their number twos, tight head and loose head, you then think, well, at least they might get parity back in the scrum. What happens now? Admittedly, the game was gone at this stage. The last three scrum penalties were all given against the England reserves in favour of the Australian reserves. They did it well, and most importantly, they had the most outstanding backer on the pitch in David Pocock. Now, Mike Hooper got away with a couple of absolutely horrendous things last night, and we will talk about them later. But Pocock was outstanding. And I think we're beginning to see that the most important players on a lot of these players are no longer 10, it's 8. 10 can't work if 8 isn't working. And we saw it last night with Pocock, and we've seen it with some of the other teams. Our favourite player of the tournament, Gagadze, is the prime example of this, that if your 8 isn't good enough, your 10 doesn't get any protection. And we'll see that again and again and again. You had Morgan against Pocock. It wasn't even a contest. Yeah, it wasn't. And... uh Ledesma, who's been brought in as the scrum coach, was a brilliant call by Michael Checker, and it has revolutionised Australian scrummaging. If you look the state they were in two years ago when the Lions were down there uh, to where they are now, an Australian side looking for scrums, winning a penalty and saying, we won't actually kick for touch, we'll have a scrum. I've never seen that before. Yeah. 
and like w- w- the statement was was resonated right through the England team as well, and it gave the Australian team such a boost. I think they got more a boost in that than they may have got from one or two of their tries. It really was the statement that said we're going to win this game. Oh yeah, when you consider that they've been beaten the last four times they played England in the World Cup, and all because they didn't have a scrum. Now that they've got a scrum, they're 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 hugely dangerous. And it just showed the power of the Southern Hemisphere rugby. Northern Hemisphere rugby is just not on the same level, not even close. The England nearly made twice as much metres as Australia in that game. There were sparks of, in the England team, and, and some of that coming in from the likes of Watson and Mike Brown. Yet uh, the England game plan seems to be made in such a way that you know the Johnny Mays of this world have very little chance to really, we, we have very little chance to see the best of them. Obviously not picking forward was a huge issue in that. And yeah, you know, you say the Southern Hemisphere is so far ahead, but there is a feeling out there that had England picked the right team, it might have been a whole other game. Oh, I don't agree on that front. I think but there it, is a feeling out there that had uh, Ford started. Like, yeah, I think Ford Sarton might have made a bit of a difference, and they mightn't have been beaten by quite so much. Mm. Um, and if they had gone for Armitage in the back row and, and got rid of this uh, Premiership only players, you know, in terms of the difference that would make. Well, no, there's there's an element. The reason for they're doing the Premiership only players is to keep some sort of control on their players and, and trying to make sure that, that the French top 14 doesn't become the top league in the way that when it comes to money and the way the premiership is when it comes to money and that it just goes to show money is not the answer it's having the right system in place is, is more important having the right people in place you buying any of that would you agree with Alan on that that you know they, they were right to stay away from what is one of the best open sides and, and go with the, with the back row they went with no you pick your best players and um, it's 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 a decision that was made by the RFU more than the England team because they're actually two slightly different things. And I suspect whoever comes in as England coach, because I think Stuart Lancaster will either resign or be fired, uh, will have to address it. He's also going to have to address a situation that players like Dylan Hartley, uh, not picked for disciplinary reasons, uh, Nick Abendanen, doing really well again in France. He's another player that's been overlooked. A good manager should be able to handle the disciplinary side of a player. Tulagi's a bit more complicated because he got involved with the police. But I don't think England have enough good players to actually leave out players like that. I just I don't think that's viable. And it, that'll, be, that'll be under review, definitely. This World Cup then, let's uh, move it on a bit here, Dave. Uh, you know, everyone's wondering. I, I don't think it's going to affect things too much. There's a lot of away fans over there. I mean, you saw the Argentinians today against Tonga. They must have, in most grand games they're at, and today they must have had eight or 10,000 fans there. There's, there's an incredible support over in England. I, I think the games are still going to be packed and the buzz is still going to be there, not to mention the fact that Wales are still in it and Scotland are likely to be into the quarterfinals too. Well, first of all, I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily say Scotland are likely to be in the semi-finals, but I think... Quarterfinals, obviously, but yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. No, 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 in the knockout stages. Um, I want to quickly go back to. I think, I think Dylan, I think Stefan Armitage is possibly could well be the most overrated player in no world way. rugby simply because he has. I don't remember him any this level of support from when he was in the England yeah, jersey. Okay. And as soon as he's gone to France, everybody's gone. We need him in the team. Yeah. Okay. He said, I, I think what you had was, and it doesn't matter. I, I disagree that we can't. We can't beat these teams. The Northern Hemisphere can't. They can. What we have to be a bit more realistic is that, is that we've been in... The Irish team has been in camp for 10 weeks. And up until today, looked pretty good. We have effectively been looking at the four Southern Hemisphere teams have basically been together for six months because they've gone straight from the Rugby Championship into the warm-up games into, into this. They have been together for longer. One thing they are all doing, and... This is something that England simply can't live with. And I think this is the thing we should be worried about. Australia 
did everything so quickly. There was no hanging around. It was done. Bang, 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 bang. The only time there was a drop-off was the five minutes after Jania went. And I simply saw... I think Phipps is the replacement. Nick Phipps comes up to speed. And then as soon as he's up to speed, bang, 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 bang. Yeah. It was done so quickly. There's no... And also, they do... They're running from deep at angles. I mean... I think we shouldn't. I think we should. We worry about Australia. I think all four, all the sub the four sub numbers field teams. I include Argentina. Off, off, come at, come at the northern hemisphere with something different. With Australia, it's speed. With South Africa, it's it's pure brute, it's brute brutality. With New Zealand, it's off those. And with Argentina, it's kind of a little bit of everything, but not at the highest. Not with anything at the highest levels of the other three. I think they are all beatable. I think they need to be, if they are off by 10%, all of the Northern Hemispheres can beat them. But if, if the Northern Hemisphere teams are off by 10%, that's when we run into, that's when they, the Southern Hemisphere teams will absolutely pound us. In terms of the World Cup, I think it will have some effect. But to a certain degree, it's like us at the World Cup. When we, when, uh, the football World Cup, you go out the Football World Cup, you just join somebody else. They will back, I think this is where the most important game will be Samoa-Scotland. If Samoa show up and beat Scotland and Japan can get into the quarterfinals, Everybody English will back Japan. Otherwise, I think they'll just dissipate to whoever, whoever their friends are. They'll back Ireland, Scotland, some might go New Zealand, some might go Australia. It's hard to know. Yeah, so where's this World Cup going? Let's move it on because we've talked enough about England. We can't solve all their problems. And let's, let's face it, they have a few right now. Um, They've got to play Uruguay in Manchester next week. William made a great point last week that all three England games in, in London, and it seems a shame. And now it's really backfired because even the one game that they've taken out won't matter. Yeah, I, I, I suspect that the stadiums will still be packed and the buzz will still be there. It's been an amazing World Cup so far. Yeah, because like you know, I know the English fans boo. There, there's an element of boom, but in general, the English rugby fans I've always found to be fantastic, um, great, brilliant supporters of the game, and even the fact that the you know the BBC did that six or six an hour on on the whole thing last night, and there was a, was lot, quite, of, a lot of positive, wasn't it? Yeah, there was a lot of positive stuff there, and and guys moving on. So like there is a general feeling of. You know, it's, everything goes on about the arrogance of the English and how, you know, I love seeing them being beaten. But I'd love to see someone in Australia, an Australia TV station or the main ABC doing the same sort of thing or other countries doing it. And, and we'd be just as bad. You know, we're people bitching and moaning about the performance we had tonight. And, that, you know, they're talking about panic on the television. You know, is Smith panicking? Christ, we won the game. We're in the quarterfinals. OK, it's probably going to mean it's, it's probably going to be the lowest scoring game in the... In the uh, in the pool stage, which will be make us the fifth time in six tournaments that Ireland have had the lowest scoring game in the pool table. But you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we won't go on about that. <laughs> Another stat. Another stat that he's just. He's, how hard do you? He can't help himself. He cannot help himself. <laughs> you know, it's like, and you see the way he just like drops it in casually into the conversation. <laughs> that one, yeah. I just tried to just lull, lull that one in. Um, no, but you know, it's it's. Um, There'll be someone going to work tomorrow who listens to this podcast. Did you know this is a fifth time in the six years? And they'll be like, where are you getting all this nonsense from? Oh. That's why we keep this podcast on the download. Anyways, yeah, but you, you've segued nicely onto the Ireland game. So just, just a bit further on that. You, on the couch here, at times, were panicking a little bit. Not panicking, but you're getting mad. So where, where do we balance that? And, and surely Joe Schmidt was probably as angry as you are when, let's say, for example, Sean O'Brien didn't roll away and, and Bestie missed a tackle and initially had a great chance to get within three. It was, the, it was the lack of execution. You know, for me, I thought Murray had one of his worst games in a long time he it, certainly before half time he seemed to be flustered and panicked he was throwing his inside pass to Bowie I think he got him killed he, he nearly got Zebo killed he nearly got Bo killed you know he just was so uh, like, a, like, a, like a robot the way he was playing the game there was no life to the guy until the last 15 minutes and then he seemed to sort of spark up a little bit which is what you want you want you know you want your, your main men when it really really matters to, to kick on um, but I did say last week that 
Parise would make a difference to this Italian side. He's like it's like having a little god on the team for those guys. They just he brings everybody up an enormous amount, and they they deserve to you know we we have to sort of give it to them. They really put us up to us and, and gave us a game that we probably needed. All right, so we don't like we do have to give it to them for that, and their, their character was fantastic. But what really frustrates me is how they're not developing a standby that again because I look at the game, they had so many opportunities. They had an extra man, William, for the last ten minutes. They had a line out in the Irish half that they blew. They had a, a scrum half who over kicked uh, on a couple of Gary Owens and then they had a kick downfield just a loose kick that gave Ireland a scrum back in, in Italy's half if you're an Italian rugby fan you're looking at game what an opportunity missed absolutely and I'm really surprised that Parisi was taken off because yeah. the problems compounded themselves when he went off this was a crucial game for them he should have been out there until he was at, he didn't look he just walked off he didn't look injured yeah. he didn't look exhausted yeah, you do. You do have to wonder. They do wear these, you know, these um, machines on their back, little machines, and they have them. You know, there's a guy watching, seeing what their heart rate is, seeing what their blood pressure is, seeing how they're they're breathing, how fast they're running, whether they're slowing down. Like th- that's become a bit mechanical in the way fellas are taking on and off, and that they, they're watching to see whether their performance levels are dropping, and maybe that's why it was taken off. You'd have to wonder with Henderson. Henderson won man of the match. Yeah, it was still taken out the field on, what, 60 minutes, yeah. 55 minutes. How many times did that man do it? That's the second time he's done that. Now he's won a man of the match when he's only played about 55, 60 minutes. And again, no signs in the lead-up to that that, oh, maybe Henderson's starting to play. Whereas, you know, you definitely got the sign. O'Brien's penalty that gave away. Yeah, you could understand why he went off straight away then, because maybe he was starting to lose his way. There was one strange incident where an Italian player came on and, and seemed purposely to bump into one of the uh, Italian uh, backroom staff on the pitch. And I just wonder about that. And maybe I'll go to you this, Dave, but it's just... In a general sense, the Italian rugby is in a little bit of a crossroads. They've got a difficult game against Romania this weekend. They're one of the Six Nations teams. The arguments are starting to go up about Georgia joining the Six Nations. They got a coach. They were, you were saying, William, last week, they were going to sack off to this World Cup anyways. You see that little bit of possible uh, ba- ba- issues on, with the backroom staff as well. You know, they've really blown this today. They're not in a great place either, like no, I mean, it doesn't hide from the fact that Sir Parisi raised them. We would, it was a perfect storm. I'm going to say the phrase, death by process. I mean, Ireland died by process. Murray had that one thing in the back, his head, and it was process, 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 and he kept doing anything, it's not working, change. England last night, death by process. Australia didn't have, had a process, but also had that, you know what, let's do something off the cuff. Um, Italy, to a certain degree, death by process. Mm. Um, that's not happening, as you said, with the Southern Hemisphere teams. And well, even the Japan, you're going to get a super rugby team. They ha- they're building towards the Southern Hemisphere rail plane, aren't well, they? With, I, I, would dis- I disagree with you in this that they aren't doing. I think South Africa can, can have death by process. And to a certain degree, you're starting to see with us, with New Zealand, that yeah. it, it's, it's back out of hand, which is a, it's, it's, it's still a process. Sonny Bill Williams has a process. It means he runs, he runs hard, he steps you, and he flicks the ball out of his hand. And you have to watch that. He's doing it all the time. And the other, weirdly for New Zealand, even though you know this is what Sonny Bill's going to do, we've seen other guys knowing he can do this, knowing he can throw that at any angle, dropping, not being prepared for it. You're thinking, that's death by process. What else can he do? But in terms of Italy, I think what Italy will absolutely will not be able to get their heads around is despite all the fact of, despite the fact we have gone on constantly in in, in every podcast that we've, we've mentioned Italian rugby that they are dying a death. The reason they lost was very, very simple. Was weirdly, it was, was weirdly the one thing they didn't have a process on was their lineout, and it cost them the game. Three separate lineouts you can point out that came from Italian lineouts. Our try, f- the last minute of the first half where they're on the five meter line and he overthrows it, and then again their last lineout in the R22 in the last ten minutes they overthrew it. They didn't have a lineout. 
I'm all, I know death by process, but you have to have some process. And if they just had a lineup, we would be talking about an Italian win. Wow, hard to believe. O'Mahony's tackle also saved us. We really got out of jail in this one, didn't we? Yeah, I think we did. And I, the only <clears throat> Joe Schmidt's interview, which was a very, very long and very detailed interview, and the longer he spoke about it, the angrier he was getting. And he was bringing up all sorts of things that were going on in his head. Uh, I think it might benefit us. I think it's probably the kick in the arse we needed. That doesn't mean we're going to beat France next week, but I suspect things will tighten up a lot. And I think we were maybe brought down to Italy's level a bit today. That's not an, it's not a good enough reason. You should be better. But we actually tried to sort of out-muscle them. I would have thought it would have been better to try to actually just get past them. We're a faster move inside, but we didn't use that. And at the end, we were kicking and hanging on a bit. All right, we'll take a little break. Just enough time, about five minutes here, to just shoot around the rest of the World Cup since we were last on. There's been a, a few games. I want to just highlight a few. Maybe Samoa Japan was interesting. We're talking about Argentina Tonga today. Seemed like a good game. Uh, who wants to take that? No, it wasn't great William, was it? No. Look, kind of reasonably good. Argentina, are they, are, they, are they getting better with Tonga useless again? Um, Tonga just ran out of steam, but that was a very weak Argentinian team. Okay. Uh, they got away with two or three tackles that should have been yellow carded oh. weak refereeing but uh, Argentina looked quite good All right, yeah. um, it's hard to feel sympathy for Tonga apparently they eat in Nando's all the time yeah that, that story about 10 nights in a row in Nando's I mean it's like the Irish story from the 1987 World Cup when they went off to the chipper in the night before their first game yeah it's, 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 uh, it, it is crazy I'm sorry I mean I, I, I'm not one to talk but I'm not a professional athlete um, Samoa and Japan was a very interesting game yeah. Because uh, yeah. Samoa were b- almost beaten up by Japan. And then Japan just used their speed. They were very, very impressive. Samoa were very, very poor. Ill-disciplined, giving away penalties, let their heads drop the minute they fell behind. And I'm just sorry Japan didn't get the bonus point because they really should have done. Yeah, I guess, Alan, as well, you know, bonus point or not, Eddie Jones was saying they could have got two tries, but they're still going to need, no matter, almost certainly they're going to need uh, Samoa to beat Scotland, Japan are going to need that, and they're going to need to beat USA to get to the, uh, to get to the quarterfinals. It'd be great if they did. Yeah, it would. It'd be brilliant for the World Cup. It, it's it's, it's <laughs> needed now, especially now that England are out. <laughs> the English fans need somebody fresh to, to, to you know, get behind, I think, because it'd be so, it'd, it'd give the World Cup another, a new thing to, to look at. Um, not sure, not sure how that will go because I think Scotland will probably beat Samoa as Samoa were pretty, pretty disappointed. What do you think is going on, David? Fiji, Samoa, Tonga. They've, <sighs> this is probably collectively their worst ever World Cup. I honestly don't know. I think Fiji have been a little bit unlucky. Um, okay. They have started. Fiji have started every game poorly and they've given away stupid tries and then they've come into it. But they've they were brilliant against Wales at but, times. I mean, it was fantastic. Wales, Wales got away with some. Just, I mean, to say it was last gasp and desperation. Scramble defence is an understatement. Um, if Fiji have been unlucky, Tonga have been probably suffer. For, they are of the three of them. They're the ones who can't get their players together most often, and Samoa just have imploded. And there's always now in previous World Cups it was Fiji who imploded. Now normally you're talking about a, a money thing or a or a discipline thing, but with Samoa at the moment it just seems I have no idea what's going on. And I don't think slightly more worrying is that I don't think they know what's going on. 
Um, they were the, shocking. The picture of their management team, of all the management boxes, I, I think it was actually more dramatic and negative than than the, than the, the South African shots, uh, because it really was it really was a, a group of men that just looked like they didn't know what was going on on the field. I mean, absolutely, it was appalling discipline. I mean, Hubert is not can can be a picky ref, but he, the first yellow card is blatant. He, it, I mean, I mean, some players have got away with it. Over the weekend, and other and most overs haven't. It was no shoulder into into an unguarded guy. The second one was he had gone he'd gone to Trevor Rance and said, "Look, we're going to the bin again if this is happening." And he picked out the number the, the loose head, and then the loose head from from the, they get the ball, they get the, they get their own, they get a free kick at a, at a scrum. He, they kick it up in the air, and the Japanese uh, the Japanese fullback is in the air, and he just hits him. And you're there thinking you're there thinking that's not a Mackie yellow card, no matter what it is, and he just went. And you could see Juve just going, I can't believe how dumb you are. Um, I have no idea. And then the weird thing was their try was actually very, very good. It was a lovely piece of play. I, I mean, I just, I just wonder if... I wonder if maybe it's because they, people go on about how Samoa don't get enough game time. I wonder if get, it's been to their advantage that they're not being looked at more regularly. Because you have to ask yourself about the structures of Samoan rugby... Whether they're getting the, whether the national team is getting the backing of the national board, or whether it's just being run by, we're back to the are they now where we were twenty years ago in terms of being run by guys who just turn up in, in blazers and you know go for the wine and wine and cigars, and then let the, hopefully let the players play it out because you have to ask yourself it's, it seems like that. Now I hope I want to be wrong, but I wonder if closer scrutiny and more game if, if if more games against top one nations, which is what they've been crying out for, will bring their boards onto scrutiny and may actually they may actually end up. It'll be the, for the better of their games in those countries, but I wonder if in the short term it might be very disastrous. Yeah, that's a good summation. We've got to move it on, so uh, just because we don't have a lot of time to talk about the other things. I want to mention Canada and France. That was a great game. It's just, and in a, I bring that up just to say in a general sense, Alan, almost every single game in this World Cup, bar two games involving Italy against France and Ireland, has been watchable, beyond watchable, brilliant in a lot of cases. Yeah, I think the the fact that you know we've had this this um, Indian summer has helped, and that we've got had cracking weather for for the whole time as well has been really really good. Um, and obviously the money that the the World Rugby are putting into these teams is coming up, and you know whether we like it or not, sevens is having an impact because you're getting a lot more skill levels coming from the the tier two and tier three nations because they're they're playing the, with the ball more on hand and looking for more space. Interesting point as well. We we got to go on about New Zealand, but Davis won't quit. Just a quick thing: Canada kind of lost that game not because of a lack of power or lack of money lost, because they actually kicked the ball away shockingly three times and conceded three tries. That is not a. That's about basic game management. That that's got nothing to do with money or skill or professionalism. That's got to do with individual players making individual cock ups, and that is better for rugby. That is things that can be cut out and not to do with money or power or player numbers. Yeah, that's a really good point because you know Japan got a lot of really good decisions right against South Africa, and look what can happen when you do that. Okay, uh, New Zealand, Georgia, we're uh, inserting this. If you don't listen to our Craggy Island rugby pod, and if you do, just uh, this is a quick uh, bit for with Lynn Lee McKenzie, who's a Galway advertiser journalist and also works in the Irish Times covering Connacht. She had this to say about her trip to watch New Zealand play on Friday night. So, so uh, this is something we can edit into our World Cup podcast. I've got, a, I, I've got a plan. We can I got the best man in the match award ever. Oh, you're talking about last night. Oh, brilliant. All right, yeah, Gorgadze. Was, Gorgadze, yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, that was good stuff. No, we can, we can, we can use five seconds here where we can just put it into our podcast and I say, Lindley, what do you think of New Zealand's chances? Your home country. 
the land of the long white cloud. We had to say only 44 points. There, there were a lot of Kiwis last night who were very disappointed in in worried or just disappointed. A bit of both. Both really, absolutely yeah. both. I think there were a lot of people who thought they looked like a team that were actually at a training on a training ground more than anything. They were trying moves, most of which didn't come off. I thought the aerial game is 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 quite lacking. I think Ireland's aerial game is far superior than the All Blacks at the moment. Their scrum looked a bit dodgy on occasions. Um, and I just think the group that they're in, there is there is no reason for them to actually play to potential at the moment. And you would be very worried that they won't be able to to rise that level and play to potential when they get to the quarterfinals and if they can get past there. Yeah, but should the French are coming in the quarterfinals, so that should be straightforward for New Zealand. Not necessarily at all. And not, do you mean not necessarily the French? <laughs> <laughs> hmm, you can ponder which one that is. When you think back to where we were maybe a few World Cups ago, Argentina getting the same tough draw every World Cup, weaker nations just not getting the investment, not being allowed into the Southern Hemisphere uh, tournaments, that's changing now. Japan and Argentina have super rugby teams coming. Argentina are thriving from being in the championship. Yes, they definitely are. And I think uh, World Rugby has realised there has to be some push to bring the 15-man game on. There's still an issue with sevens. There's still a lot of pressure that sevens is the way forward, I think, is seen by a lot of people, uh, especially maybe television, but it has been an improvement. I think the funny thing about New Zealand, I think they would have much preferred to play their hardest game, which was Argentina, probably about now, rather than playing the hardest game first and then getting progressively weaker teams. And they will be worried about having to switch it on for either France or Ireland in the quarterfinal. It's hard to do. We had to switch it on today against uh, Italy and the switch got stuck. All right, final part of the podcast. Looking ahead to the final weekend of rugby. I won't be here for next week's pod. Dave, you're going to be presenting it. Well, at least I'll have everything working. Well, it was your recorder that didn't work there, Dave. And, and also, something that I didn't mention yesterday, but when we were going out to do the Craggy Island pod, uh, you told me you had no batteries with you either. So, you know, it's time, it's time some of this stuff came back on top of people. Okay, I hold my hands up to the batteries. Yeah, oh, well, there you go. But the issue that's just the reason why my recorder has never, has never happened until we gave it to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do feel a bit guilty about that. <laughs> it's grand. It's, it's kind of like when you, you borrow someone's lawnmower and it breaks while you have it, you know? That kind of um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if we look at it to next week, um, I think it is a question of, process and I, I, I hate the word process I hate I, hate, I like off the cuff I like I like the there we have we have back lines and even forward and certainly forwards next week who can off the cuff do something absolutely spectacular and we're talking about we're not just even, even the guys who won't make the two squads can do stuff off the cuff and it is it is Joe Smith's process seems to sit easier with our players even if it does rest, restrict them more than Philippe Saint-André's process seems to be sitting with the French players. Uh, I wonder is when the moment comes, which one of the back lines, and it will come down to the back lines, which one of the back lines will be able to break out of process and do that something off the cuff? And I've seen nothing from France at the moment that says they can do it, but I always believe that they can, and that's what worries me about next weekend. If you go back to France's game at Twickenham in the Six Nations, when they did really just cut loose. Um, I'm not sure that they have the mental capacity to do that anymore. I think they've been grown down over time. And 
we're afraid of them because we have a shocking record against France. I think we've beaten them eight times in the last 50 years. Yeah, we've two of them in the last twice we've played them and two draws prior to that. So, like, you do have, you know, it has got better, it has improved, and the difference now between the French teams that we used to play and the French team now is that their only spark is not there anymore in Huger. There's nothing, there's nobody in that back line to be afraid of. Yeah, it, it, it's just, it's bash it up stuff. Uh, the weather forecast for next week across the UK is bad. It won't worry us because we're in Cardiff, the roof's closed. Interesting. It's going to be analysed to dead over the week and we'll obviously be with it, with it next weekend on the pod. We do like to give you the whole breadth of the World Cup, not just, uh, not just Ireland. And I think this weekend, next weekend could be probably the weakest weekend for drama because mm. the, the groups are starting to, like I'll go with William first and I'll go to you unless Dave, the groups are starting to pan out now as planned. You know, Scotland's more is interesting and that makes Japan, USA interesting if the result goes one way. Wales and Australia is a shootout to, for an easier quarterfinal, but Wales are, have so many injuries, they might have to just accept that they're going to play South Africa. Do you get the feeling that next weekend might be probably the quieter of the weekends? No, I don't, I don't think it's feasible in this World Cup. Something will happen yeah, that okay. will surprise us. I've listed a few things that could happen already, not to mention Ireland and France is going to be a cracker anyway. Yeah, the, the key for uh, Scotland is Finn Russell. If he plays it out half, they'll beat some more. Right. If he's not fit, then it'll become a, a much tougher game. Right. Um, Wales, Australia... I, I Wales don't, couldn't beat Australia, could they? Yeah, they haven't beaten them in the last 14 attempts. So mm-hmm. what... So, Now's the time to go and do it. It's the sort of thing Gatland could produce. And that's the, but you see, they got to go for it, I think, because like I mean, Scotland, Japan, in a quarterfinal, they can deal with that. The motion of going into that semi-final, then, like, whereas I don't see how, with all the injuries they have, how they could beat South Africa after losing to Australia. What do you think? Uh, that would be a difficult one, but you've really got to play. We were Dave's been talking about process. You've really got to play what's in front of you. Australia last night were looking up and playing what was in front of them. They weren't playing what was in their heads. Mm. And that makes a, a huge difference. Yeah, Dave? Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think William's got it spot on. I think a lot of the teams, I mean, we can say this across the board, you have to look up and, and we, we in our other podcast you'll hear about the fact that Connick played yesterday against a full-back who couldn't run and didn't play what was in front of them. And you had Australia last night looked up and went, I don't care, they're just boys in white shirts and we, you know, we didn't care. They just ran at them and did played what was there and it's just I think all of the games this week I do think the problem is the Samoa Scotland game is on the Saturday and the Japan USA game is on the Sunday I would like those two games to be played side by side yeah that's something that probably should happen for fairness yeah yeah oh, absolutely obviously you're five team group so it's you know it's, it's, it's hard yeah it's very difficult to do but you know and, and you know that's the problem with a 20 team tournament um, but just going back to Wales and Australia Wales don't have a scrum and look what Australia did last night to a team that doesn't have a scrum. Yeah, look what Fiji did to the Wales scrum last week. It was just absolutely obliterated it, which is great credit to John McKee. A good shout out to a former Connick coach who did a great job with us down through the years and, and hasn't done a bad job there overall. Hey, one other thing I'm looking forward to when we start the, the other business, so maybe we'll get this going now because we have to round this up, is I'm looking forward to watching some of the games between the likes of Romania and Canada next week and Romania initially because I, like William, and like all of you, rugby people have wanted to see these nations kind of emerge and it's brilliant to see it. And these games mean everything to them I'm an Irish cricket fan I think most of this room are we all love our cricket and we'll all tell you that as big as it is to get the big upsets in the World Cup the, the likes of Ireland versus Bangladesh are huge games for us as well because these are the games where we go right this is where we are this is how we measure ourselves so Canada-Romania is going to be fascinating for both teams if Romania can win that and then beat Italy they could qualify for the next World Cup subplots within if they finish third in their pool which is subplots within the World Cup which are going to be really really interesting it continues to astound me this tournament any other business? William's up yeah, TMOs. Sorry to come back to them. Um, How good they are. <laughs> well, 
something occurred to me today. We now seem to have specialist TMOs who don't referee at international level. They interfere with the game. They see something. They get onto the referee that's on the pitch. But as far as I can see, none of these guys have ever uh, refereed at international level. If you look at how it's done in cricket, you have two umpires on the pitch and a third umpire. That third umpire will be in the television booth for one test match. Then he moves in the next test match to become an on-field umpire, and one of the other guys reverts. I think it's time that some of the guys who are refereeing on the pitch now need to go into the TMO booth to understand, first of all, how he's seeing things with all these camera angles, and maybe to get a bit of a feel for it. I'm not sure you can move some of these TMO guys onto the international field because some of them are some of them are a bit old perhaps for doing it. But I think it is an issue. Uh they're almost detached from the game. Mm. They're watching it remotely and it happened a couple of times today where they got it cross purposes again. You've Sean Veltzman is a South African, he's obviously an African speaker. English is his second language. You had uh, Jerome Garces, second language is English, and it just I, at one stage I thought you're, you're discussing the wrong incident again guys yeah. and it happened it happened another game yesterday too I'm trying to think of the game maybe it was today's game with Argentina as well yeah that's what you're on but yeah definitely lots of that kind of like as someone did a joke on Twitter no you hang up no no you hang up uh, Dave any other business good point by the way William love that just an observation um, it's, it's to do with, with, with fielding of box kicks and fieldings of high kicks and what we saw last night one of the, one of the things that happened every time and now it was also about the process of taking the kick as well, back to process. But every time England went up for went up to catch a ball, they went up with one hand. Yes, and, this and the, really annoyed me. And, and they knocked it on every single time. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that if you go with two hands, it's, you know, you're going to knock on. I mean, we see that all the time. But it's significant that those players with a GA slash Aussie rules background yeah. go up with two hands... And those who have none of that, or have up with a basketball background, yes. go up with one hand. Yeah. And I think that it is a skill that is not being taught. In not, we do it naturally. I'm not saying we teach it. It's just the boy, we, we, our best guys at catching the ball are Tommy Bow, minor for Monaghan, and Rob Carney, minor for Louth. They know how to catch. They are taught since the age of you know, you know, basically if Alan got hold of them and you know threw a punch every now and again and uh, you know with the uh, punch, <laughs> you know with, with his punch passing can we, yeah. can we can we run the audio of Alan doing an interview on Galway TV we should on this podcast but that's a well, yeah, to be fair more people have, I wonder, wonder if, there's more likely to be more people who've seen, who are watching Galway TV listening to us than listening to the BBC so yeah let's go ahead yeah. uh, <laughs> we'll do it another week trust me it's going to be brilliant but, but it's significant to know but every, I mean it was it was Watson and it was um, and it was Johnny Merrill the two primary examples going up with one hand and now it's awesome and now we've all played games where we've gone up with one hand but you're taught to go with two hands you get used to it and we saw the best example that was Tommy Bull taking a wonderful two-handed catch today Mike Brown that's all I'll say he no Mike Brown Mike Brown goes up with two hands I'm yeah, not yeah, saying, but he's not I think Dave isn't saying there's plenty of rugby players that do but there's more coming from Ireland than Australia and the background that they're coming from is definitely a huge factor I completely agree with that final uh, word for any other business coming to got some good oh, ones the last is, few weeks yeah this is just Oh, the flag. Oh, thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. That arm and was kicking in. Um, it, was, it was... Actually, my son mentioned it today, and Dave saw it as well. Ireland don't use the Irish Rugby Union flag at the World Cup. Not something I've noticed until today. That's the green flag with the four provincial flags around exactly. the corners. Yeah. What we've got is the tricolour and the Ulster branch flag. Really? Yes. 
Very are we, strange. Are we talking the Ulster branch, the yellow Ulster branch flag? Yellow Ulster branch flag. Ulster branch flag. It's just a strange, yeah. strange scenario. Yeah, so you're talking about the tricolours over the stadium when the team is obviously representing two countries and it's kind of strange. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a country flag and an Ulster branch flag. Yeah. Like, it's just a strange. Everyone else has got their own country flags and we don't. We've got this yeah. weird scenario. And I think we're all saying that. What I love about this World Cup is all around Galway here, uh, where, we're, where we are based, Irish green, Irish rugby flags on the cars. Great to see. Look, if people have their tricolours, that's fine with me because your, your country's part of this team. That's fine. But it's, it's great to see this unified team that Ireland are. And uh, oh, yeah. it's two cultures. It's, it's, uh, it's very important to Irish rugby people that we respect them. It is. And we've got a specific flag for that. And we've got our own anthem for that. So, like, we don't, we don't sing the Irish national anthem, so why are we using the, the, the tricolour? Great point. That's enough made on it, and there's no one else wants to weigh in on the anyways, but it just needs to be uh, highlighted. Okay, that's it from us. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, lads. See you in a Rob. Oh, yeah, next week is going to be presented by Dave, and you have to edit it all together, and it's going to be really fun, and I'm going to be in Boston. Oh, I'll do a piece for you from Boston as we watch it. Yeah, do that. You watch it, Carsten. Yeah. yeah Irish pub in Boston, and we're watching Ireland, Poland, and soccer after us. That's a whole other podcast. Not for anything that we'll be doing because we haven't a clue about soccer. That's it. Bye, folks. Check.